Good morning and welcome back to Coffee Books. Today we are continuing on from the top of page 27 in The Curious Barista's Guide to Coffee by Tristan Stevenson. We are currently in chapter 2. Growing and Harvesting Coffee Virtually all of the coffee trees in the world can be found in the tropics. The typical lifespan of an arabica plant sees the plant mature from tiny seedling or soldier to flowering stage after three to five years. Shortly after it flowers, it will begin to fruit, which takes from nine to 11 months to grow and ripen, and it generally announces its readiness by turning a shade of vivid pinky red, although there are some varieties that produce a yellow or orange colored fruit when ripe. Coffee trees like wet, humid, and shady environments, and the Arabica tree in particular, is sensitive to wind and high temperature. For this reason, it tends to be grown at higher altitudes. The sweet spot is usually somewhere between 1 to 2,000 meters or 3,300 to 6,600 feet elevation, any higher and the risk of frost increases. Some Arabica and Robusta varieties will grow many meters high if left to their own devices, so constant pruning is required to bush out the bottom of the plant and secure the position of the fruit at an accessible height for pickers. Although it's not unheard of for farm workers to use ladders, rather unhelpfully, coffee trees flower irregularly, resulting in ripe and unripe fruit adorning the plant at the same time. Consequentially, the mechanical harvesting of coffee in most countries is rare and frowned upon since it wastefully strips the tree of both ripe and unripe fruit. fruit. Couple that with the fact that many coffee farmers cannot afford to purchase such machines, as well as the difficulties presented by the invariably hilly coffee-growing terrain, and it becomes very apparent that coffee farming is a highly laborious and literally hands-on profession. There are exceptions, however, and in this instance, is a very large exception. In Brazil, coffee is mostly harvested en masse, using either machines that strip both ripe, overripe, and underripe fruit at the same time, or by simply shaking the tree and catching all the fruit on the ground. This slightly wasteful process is born out of a culture of quantity, not quality, farming. There are, of course, exceptions that Brazil has become infamous for. A hundred years ago, Brazil produced over three-quarters of the coffee in the world. Today, it accounts for around one-third, which at around 300,000 farms and 4 billion trees is still an eye-watering amount. Handpicking is not without its issues either. Some farms still insist on picking everything available and sorting it later. And even on farms that make multiple passes of the same trees, the simple instruction to pick ripe fruit is ignored as most pickers are paid by the weight of coffee they harvest. For this reason, many coffee pickers tend to grab fruit that is still a little underripe. Direct trade between roasters and farmers, where two-way communication aims to maximize the quality of the roasted product, is improving this, however, as the message that ripe fruit makes better coffee is repeatedly hammered home. In light of this, there are examples of pickers receiving rewards for harvesting ripe fruit only. A single Arabica tree can produce between three to five kilograms or six and a half to 11 pounds of ripe fruit in a single season, if all the elements of climate and care come together nicely. The higher end of that scale roughly equates to one kilogram or 2.2 pounds of roasted beans or 110 single espressos. 
Labor costs vary from country to country, but in some Central American countries, a good harvester might be capable of picking 100 kilograms or 220 pounds of fruit in a single day, which would earn them approximately $6.50 pounds or $10 American, which works out as less than half a penny or half a single cent per espresso. Some coffee pickers are paid even less. Direct trade is probably the single biggest driving force behind better quality green beans and ensuring a fairer price for them. Take Ricardo Barbosa, for example. His farm, Fazendas Mariano in Minas Gerais, Brazil, began supplying origin coffee in the UK four years ago. At the time, Ricardo consulted an agronomist to improve the running of his farm. Year on year, the quality and yield of the farm has improved, and Fazendas Mariano now sells its coffee for almost a dollar over the market level per pound. Workforce management plays a big part in this too, where often the picking season is relatively short and the pickers aren't full-time employees. Clever solutions to this problem are being developed, however, in Nicaragua, for example, coffee is grown on plots known as tablones, which, due to their terror, will cause fruit to ripen at slightly different times of the season. This allows efficient management of the pickers who can move from one plot to another during the harvest period. In many mountainous countries, coffee is grown at altitude, where it benefits from low humidity, which lowers the risk of mold and mildew, and cooler temperatures before it is dried and processed at lower heights that are more suitable for this part of the process. In Guatemala, for example, an altitude shift of 300 meters or 1,000 feet can equate to a temperature difference of as much as 5 degrees Celsius or 41 degrees Fahrenheit. Once picked, all of the fruit goes through a machine that screens the picked cherries. Overripe, or black fruit, floats. Underripe, or green fruit, falls through small apertures, and red, or ripe fruit, is retained by the machine. Then the green fruit is allowed to ripen off the tree, on a patio for example, and eventually dried and processed naturally. The red fruit is usually pulped before further processing, and the already dried cherries are sent immediately for processing. Essentially, nothing is wasted, though it's generally understood that off-the-tree ripening results in a poorer quality coffee. Coffee Leaf Rust Himalaya vastatrix, also known as coffee leaf rust, is a fungal parasite that targets all coffee species. It blackens leaves, causing them to fall off and stripping the plant of most or all of its leaves. It was first reported in Kenya in 1861 and had, in just a few years, traveled to Sri Lanka, then Ceylon, and very nearly decimated the entire industry there. Today, coffee rust is as big a problem as it has ever been. Ever-increasing temperatures and higher humidity brought on by climate change are thought to have aggravated the problem and it continues to affect not only the livelihoods of farmers, but in some cases the economic stability of entire countries. In 2013, Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala all declared a state of national emergency during a bout of coffee leaf rust, some of them having to contend with the blighting of 70% of their total crop. It looks to have hit just as hard in 2014, with Nicaragua feeling the full force of the impact. 
Such is the severity of the problem that the American Phytopathological Society recommend that coffee leaf rust should be treated as a continuous epidemic. Some copper-based fungicides have proven effective in both protecting from the disease and improving fruit yield, but are largely cost-prohibitive, must be reapplied regularly, and pose a long-term danger to the condition of the soil. For many farmers, quarantine is the only available measure, which generally involves killing infected plants along with uninfected plants within a 30-meter to 100-foot radius with a mixture of diesel and herbicide. We'll leave off here today in the middle of page 29 and continue again next morning. Thank you for listening. Thank you.